0: Turn your Bible to uh, the second book of John. First, second, third John. Turn to the second book of John. As you're turning there, uh, let me remind you tonight is our soak service, and I want to invite you to be with us. Um, Once a month, we take a Sunday night set aside, and uh, we come to worship and to pray, to seek God. Uh, It is a a great way for our church to follow the Holy Spirit to stay close to God it's a great way for you as a believer to uh, renew your spirit, renew your mind, renew your heart and so I want to invite you to be here our uh, life group host and leaders and ministry team leaders and all all of you in leadership I want to invite you especially to be here Uh, we all lead in the kingdom better when we're close to God and so I want to ask you to join us tonight At 5.30, Uh, Soak prayer will be at 5. So, uh, as we turn our attention on to this series, uh, Love Is, we've been talking about the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, these books. During the first Soak of the year, speaking of Soak, God spoke something to our hearts. And it became very clear that one of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing in our church is He's teaching us how to love each other. That was a strong impression uh, that we got. And so, Kingwood is a church that's made up of many generations and many ethnicities and people from many walks of life. And when you get all those differences together, God draws those differences together so that He might display the wisdom of His love. Uh, But we aren't perfect. So God has to work on us to teach us how to love each other. How many of you in your marriage, God is still teaching you, come on, how to love each other? <laughs> Any of the husband's hands not go up, you just got a jack in the ribs with the elbow. God is still teaching you how to love each other. And so it's no surprise then that we've landed in this series this summer, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that we've called, Love Is. Uh, we've talked about in the introductory message that love is deep. Love is deep enough to overcome any wound. Love is honest. First John 1. First John 2, love is loyal. Love is sacrificial. Love is growing. And then last week, love is obedient. Now, something that we haven't really talked about, love is the dominant theme in these three books, but something we haven't talked about is, is that John often sets beside love another theme, that we would read in the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as light or truth. And so um, you've got this other theme sort of working in the background or beside. So today I want to continue our theme of love is by saying uh, love is truth. Or in other words, you can't love without truth. We can't think about love in terms of deception. Love is deceptive, or love is dishonest, or love is underhanded, or love talks behind your back. We just can't conceive of love functioning that way. So love and truth are uh, irreparably connected. Certainly, truth is part of love. So maybe this morning we'll talk about it just the way John did, love and truth. Let's look at love first. From the book, turn to Second John, verse 4. There's only one chapter, and it's kind of a mix-mash of different things that don't fit right in a sermon. <laughs> so, I want to unpack the book the best I can for you. Love. Second John 4 says, John is writing to this church, It's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. Just as the Father commanded us. Notice the phrase, some of. That's code for some are not. <laughs> right? So, 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 some of you are walking in the truth. Some of you are not. There was division inside this church, and people inside the church were walking on different roads. So the question becomes, what do you do when people aren't walking in the truth? Well, our human response always says, if people aren't walking the truth, doggone it, you tell them the truth. The only problem is, I've rarely ever seen that work. I'm talking about people, these were children of the faith. These were people inside this congregation. I, I've rarely seen it work, if ever I can remember it actually worked, when somebody wasn't walking the truth, somebody just said, I'll, give me the microphone, I'll tell them the truth and you fire it off and it just seems to hit a wall and there's no penetration and there's no change and there's no difference so what do you do when someone's not walking in the truth you You try to get them to see where they're wrong. You trick them into doing the right thing. You force them into doing the right thing. Actually, this is a very important question because in most of our lives, someone in our life is not going to be walking in the truth. So what do you do? Or what do you do when there's maybe inside this church a tear in the relationship? Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it's our kids. Maybe it's adult children. Maybe it's grandchildren. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's an employer. Maybe it's somebody in your life group. Maybe it's a friend. What do we do? I've asked myself this question a hundred times as a pastor. I look and I see a wife wrecking her marriage or I see a father just wounding his kids. I watch people make the wrong decisions, watch people walk away from God, and the question that seems to resound in your mind over and over as a pastor is, how do, how do I get them to stop? When the relationship has been torn, when people are walking in two different paths, how do we fix this? For most of us, John would have been an irritating person to be around. Because he's kind of like a miracle cure salesman that sits just on the edge of town, that has a bottle of tonic, that's a miracle cure that no matter gets out stains. It'll whiten your teeth. It'll dry up stomach ulcers. It'll cure cancer. It'll, you know, whatever. It'll lower your blood pressure. He's a Johnny One Knot. He's only got one answer to every question. He's only got one solution to every problem. And in John's world, the solution was love. Look at 2 John 5 and 6. Remember, he said, I'm so overjoyed that some of your children are walking in the Lord, walking in the truth. The the silent implication is some are not. So verse 5, he says, And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command. So what do we do about this? I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is... Love. Love is what? This is love. That we walk in obedience to His commands. We looked at that last week from 1 John 5. As Joel mentioned last week, John speaks in repetitious courses where you sing the same verses over and over and over, and now John's making another lap. That we walk in obedience to His commands. As you have heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. So in other words... Walk in obedience to His command, that's what love is. By the way, His command is that you walk in love. It's a circle. John's answer was love. I have a pastor, uh, I know a pastor who uh, ministers in North Carolina, and uh, a local secular journalist came and asked him the question one time, why do you think it is that in this city there are three over 300 different churches? And I was so amazed by his answer, by both its honesty and brevity, he said because we haven't learned how to love each other. Wow. Maybe it's not about the denomination, maybe it's not about doctrine, and I think John would agree with that. Maybe it's just about old-fashioned love. Maybe we just haven't learned how to get along yet. How are relationships healed? How is distance cured? How can you soften separation? John had one answer, and he begged this church to use it, and his answer was love. How do you change someone's life? You can't. (laughs) How do you get somebody to stop doing the wrong thing? You can't. But Scripture teaches us that the truth can set a person free. Remember, love and truth. So how do you get the truth to someone? Love them. That's how you get the truth to someone. Love softens the heart. Truth changes it. Love, if you want to write something down, write this down and think about it. Love is truth's method. It is the methodology. It is the revelation. It is the expression. It is the highway that it runs on. Just think, what method did God use when he wanted to change your life? What method did he use? He loved you. Somewhere along the way, it dawned on you that there was somebody out there other than just us, that God was real, that he was closer to you than you thought, that he was talking to you, that he cared about you, and that he loved you, and somewhere it broke you down, and you caved in, and you gave in. And I'm not saying there aren't other factors, but they're all motivated by love. Love is truth's method, but it's more than kill them with kindness. It goes way beyond you can catch more bees with honey. It's way beyond that. This is truly love. Let me give you a good definition of love. Love is undefeatable goodwill. Undefeatable goodwill. In other words, if you love someone with the agenda that, that you're going to change their life, you're not loving them. Love has no agenda. Love's only agenda is to express itself. Love's only agenda is to prove itself true. Love's only agenda is to love. That's love's agenda. Anything else makes it something else. In other words, love is undefeatable goodwill. It will seek the highest good of the other person. It will accept all of the struggle and all the work that that pursuit creates. In the end, it's not our job to change anybody. I've tried it, and I haven't been successful once. I've tried to change my own life, and I couldn't do that. You can't... We don't have the ability... To bring change. That is truth's job. It's the truth that will set you free. If you hold to this truth, it is transforming. It's our job to love. Love heals. Love covers a multitude of sin. When there's difference, when there's distance, when there's division, we must ask ourselves, do I really have the other person's highest good in mind? Someone, despite the pain, has to start to sow love into the equation. Or nothing will change. You know the verse, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up? It doesn't say bad knowledge. It doesn't say lies. It doesn't say deceptions. It doesn't say falsehoods. Knowledge. Knowledge in and of itself builds up greater resistance. But love breaks down. Love seeks the other good. Early in uh, our ministry, there was a Christian leader uh, in my life that I worked with that really caused me a lot of frustration. And a lot of the frustration came out of uh, his own insecurity. He had a um, he had a huge inferiority complex. And that inferiority complex caused him at times to make decisions that uh, broke things and sometimes hurt people and, and, and frustrated me. And I can remember having a breakthrough in prayer one day. I was praying for him, and uh, we had worked together for a long time. But I can remember praying for him, and it just dawned on me. Um, I say dawned on me. I think God showed it to me. As I was praying for him, this idea came into my mind that he really struggled to believe that God loved him. And that's where a lot of his insecurity came from and his inferiority came from. He didn't feel valued. He didn't feel that God loved him. And that thought just flipped a switch in my spirit. And as I was praying for him, um, I started to change the way I prayed. And so for the first time, I'm just, confession's good for the heart, maybe ever, I was praying for God to do something in his life, not because it would make mine easier. But just for his sake. And that's the difference in frustration and love. And I just begin to pray, God, convince him that you love him. And I begin to feel sad. And I begin to feel his own loneliness. And I begin to feel his own um, brokenness. And I just begin to pray, God, convince him you love him and bless him and heal his loneliness. And I pray today that you would overwhelm him with your love. And I'm, and I'm just saying, uh, that's one of those terms that happen inside my life where lo- you know love is entered when there's nothing you get out of it when there's nothing you can gain, when it's purely for the benefit of the other person. Love is, how do love and truth work together? Love is the great truth of the Bible. The truth is God loves you. They're the same. Love is God's, love, love is truth's method, and love is the only answer to relationship. Now let's look at truth. Second John, that's love, and you're bumping down into five, verse 5, verse 6, John saying, Hey, I'm begging you to love each other. Love each other. You'll overcome these differences. You'll overcome these frustrations if you start to truly seek the benefit of the other person. Genuinely, wholeheartedly, that's how you'll overcome this. But then 2 John 7, let's look at the truth now. He says, I say this. In other words, I'm about to give you the reason I just said all that. The reason I said love each other, the reason I said this is not a new command, the reason I said the command is love, the reason I gave you that circle of love is because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. In other words, there are people inside who claim Christ or who claim whatever, who teach, who influence, who do whatever, and their method's not love. Their method's not love. The reason their method's not love is because they're not telling the truth. And John went like high noon, you know, both pistols blazing, and he said, I say this because many believers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone to the Lord, and any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Whoa! There's a lot of ways to rebuke a brother in love without saying you're the antichrist. Right? I mean, let's have coffee, let's eat lunch. I'm not comfortable with what's going on in your life. There's a lot of ways you can say something without going, you are the (laughs) anti-Jesus. You're like as far on the opposite as you can get. I mean, that's, you know, come on now. So you almost get this nursery rhyme feeling of love one another and the world spins around this globe of love and then Antichrist, love one another. You know, whoa, like you got shocked with something. Sort of a surprising turn John turns from, I beg you to love each other, to many deceivers have gone out. Now look, we can't die on every hill. If you die on every hill, you just end up dead, (laughs) right? Knowing when to draw the line is important, and in verse 7, John drew the line, and he drew it with incredible boldness. So the question for me is, a guy who has said the solution to every problem is love, The solution to every relationship is love. The cure for every division is love. The guy who said that, what would cause that same guy then to say, I have drawn the line in the sand here, and these guys are Antichrist. What would cause him to do that? Well, it has to do, and we've said this in this series over and over and over and over, no matter what angle you come at it from, you can always start at the same place. Start with Jesus. When people started believing the wrong thing about Jesus, it caused John to pull the sword out and say, no, 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 we can't have this. So what did people believe about Jesus that wasn't true? They were teaching that Jesus really wasn't human, that he was a ghost, he was a spirit, he was God in essence, but he had no human body. He had no fleshly expression. And John took a strong stand on Jesus being human and God. The theological word for that is incarnation. In other words, he was human and he was God. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this thought before, but I bet you if I were to go around the room and say, why does it matter that Jesus was human? Why does it matter that, why did he have to be human? Why did that even matter for us to have a gospel or have a church or have a kingdom or go to heaven or for it to be true or anything else? I bet if I were to pass the microphone around the room and ask that, I bet you the majority of the people in the room wouldn't have a good answer. Have you ever thought that before? Why wasn't God being God just enough? Why couldn't God just come and die? I mean, he was perfect. He was holy. He was righteous. Why wouldn't God just being God and not being human be enough? It seems like it would work. Well, let me give you, um, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three, three quick reasons. In the 58 minutes I have left this morning, I'm going to give you three. <laughs> I, I'm joking. It's a joke. Somebody went, oh, my goodness. Antichrist. (laughs) Here's the first one. If Jesus wasn't human, there is no forgiveness and there is no freedom. There's not. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 17 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, we're the children, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. The devil's hold on humanity, evil's hold on humanity, was broken through human death. Verse 17, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of people. Here's the bottom line. Only death conquers death. Death's hold has to be broken by someone's death. Because God is holy, his holiness demanded a sacrifice. Somebody had to pay for what you and I have done wrong. Somebody had to pay. And as bad as it sounds, that sacrifice had to be human. It could not be spirit. It could not be ethereal. It could not be untouched by what we've touched. He had to become what we are to make us what he is. If Jesus wasn't human, you and I can't be forgiven. So what you have now is in the, from the beginning of time, Adam and Eve sin, Sin entered the world. And now humanity is in conflict with God. The only way to resolve that conflict is to pull those two things together. So what Jesus did is he pulled the divine together and he pulled the human together and he pulled them together in the same person. And he resolved the conflict between God and man by sacrificing his human body on the cross. And that put man at peace with God again. And that's the only way it could happen. Through the perfect sacrifice. Here's the second reason that John was so adamant about the incarnation, about God, Jesus being human. If Jesus wasn't human, we have no example to follow. What would the phrase Christ-like character mean if Jesus wasn't human? We'd never have the WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? I don't know. He wasn't human. (laughs) I don't know what he'd do. How do we know what he would do? He's never felt what we feel. If you look at the temptations that Jesus suffered in the wilderness, turn these stones to bread, worship Satan, throw yourself down off this uh, peak. Those things only tempt humans. And if Jesus wasn't human, then the whole wilderness scene wouldn't have existed. Furthermore, you could rip out most of Philippians chapter 2 from your Bible and throw it away. It wouldn't exist if Jesus weren't human. We would have no model of servanthood. For God to truly serve us, He had to lower Himself and to become one of us. He had to be our example. I remember uh, at uh, Beach Freak years ago, <clears throat> we had a guy who was a speaker. He wasn't, he, he wasn't a great, honestly, he wasn't one of the best speakers we ever had. But he was one of the most loved. And I'll tell you why. Every time you turn around, this big Italian guy, he was in the pool. He was throwing kids around. And uh, I remember when I walked in the cafeteria the first meal after the camp started, he was sitting up there with one of those, remember those shower cap things? He had one of those little shower cap deals like cafeteria. He had one of those, and he was serving mashed potatoes. And I went over there, and I said, man, what are you doing? And he said, this is the only way that I'll ever get to meet every kid at this camp face-to-face. So I'm going to come and serve mashed potatoes. And can I tell you what? That's the kind of guy that the kids talked about year-round. They loved him. You know why? He came down off of whatever it is that people think that speakers are, and he got down where everybody else was and became one of everybody. And that's what Jesus did. And that's how we'd have no model of servanthood if Jesus was never human. If he never felt what you feel, if he never felt what I feel, how could he be an example? He had to be human. Here's the last one. If Jesus wasn't human, there'd be no proof of God's love. If he didn't, I want to make a bold statement. If he never came in the flesh, he does not love us. If he never came in the flesh, he does not love us. We have more than enough examples of people in our world who dictate one thing for you but live a different way like Congress passing us a, a insurance plan that we live on, but they have a different one. That doesn't feel like love, <laughs> does it? It's incredible, it's incredible, you'll love it. Everybody should be on it but us. <laughs> oh, okay, great, that's exciting. Until you get down into someone's circumstances, it's difficult for them to ever understand that you really love them. It's like the families that you've seen, maybe a child or someone... Uh, you've seen his battle with cancer, and then the mom and the dad or whatever, somebody will shave their head, and that identification says, I love you. I, I don't have what you have. If I could take it away, I'd take it away, and I can't take it away, but the best thing I can do is get down here with you. And those moments of love prove. Maybe they're not even done to prove love. Maybe they're just done to show love. But they do prove love. Uh, I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I've been kind of reading a book <clears throat> on and off this summer called Love Does uh, by Bob Goff. And uh, it, it's a fun, quick little read. It's a, he just tells a lot of stories about his life uh, that really have to do with love. And one of the stories he told was when he was in junior in high school, um, he met this guy named Randy who was a young life leader. Young life is sort of like a Campus Crusade for Christ. or It's one of the sort of Bible clubs that's on a school campus. So he met this guy named Randy. This was a long, long time ago. And uh, Randy reached out to him. Randy tried to build a relationship with him. Randy told him about Jesus. And Bob wasn't sure about all that, so he just kind of kept his distance you know, from him. Well, in the middle of Bob's junior year, he got this wild-haired idea that it was time to drop out of high school. He was done with school, and uh, he wanted to go over to Yosemite park and he wanted to spend his days working and his evenings climbing rock, rock climbing and having fun and all that. So uh, using uh, phenomenal high school logic, he reasoned he had $75 and a Volkswagen and that was, that was enough, that would make it. And so he took his $75 and his Volkswagen and just out of courtesy on his way out of town, he stopped by Randy's house, knocked on the door early Sunday morning and said, hey, hey, I just want you to know I'm leaving, where are you going? He told him the story. Randy paused for a second and said, uh, you're, wait, you're, he was asleep, said, so you're doing what? He said, hold on just a minute. Five minutes later, he's back at the door with his backpack, and he says, hey, I'm with you. And, and Bob, I didn't remember inviting you. <laughs> you know, I'm with you. So, okay. So he got in the Volkswagen with him, and they drove about six hours away. Yosemite, the sun went down that night. They, they uh, hid away in a, a big community tent and slept in there. The next day, they got up, went job hunting all day, found nothing. And uh, he was really discouraged. And so Randy said, Hey, man, don't worry about it. People don't know what they're missing out here. You know, we'll look again tomorrow. Man, I'm with you. W- whatever, whatever you need, I'm going to be with you. And so the next day, Randy kind of pushed, pushed Bob, Hey, get up, get up, get up. What's up? He said, The sun's up. Let's go climb some rocks. So they get out there and go rock climbing all over the place. And then that afternoon, they grab some lunch, they go job hunting again. And that little valley only had a few places to work, and every one of them said, we're not hiring. And so Bob kind of scratches his head, and he says, uh, he said, you know, if it's okay with you, he said, I only got a few dollars left and a tank of gas. He said, I think what I'd like to do is drive back home and go back to school and finish high school. And Randy said, hey, man, whatever you decide, I'm with you. So that six-hour drive... They spent on the way home. Bob said it was real quiet in the car. They didn't talk the whole way. But every now and then, Randy would just say, Bob, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm all right. And as they pulled up in Randy's driveway, dropped him back off, he went in behind him in the living room, and he said when he looked around the living room, he saw on the floor stacks of plates, wrapping paper, coffee maker, some glass, On the couch was a half-open microwave. And then it just dawned on him, Randy and his girlfriend had just gotten married. But their love for Bob was so real that they sacrificed some of the opening days of their marriage so Randy could go and be with Bob. Because he was a kid that was about to derail, about to drop out of school, about to throw his life away, and he just needed somebody to be with him. And Randy knew when he got out there, somewhere he'd hit bottom. And when he did it, he needed somebody to be with him. This is why the incarnation is so important. God couldn't just write, I love you in the sky. He couldn't just write it in the clouds with the airplane going over. God actually had to come here and he had to be one of us and he had to be with us. There's actually a name that scripture gives Christ called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The kind of love God uses is the kind of love that shows up and it's the kind of love that sacrifices. By the way, Bob ended up finishing high school. He graduated. He went to college. He got his degree. He became a Christian lawyer. And he found an organization called Restore International who fights for children in Uganda and India. And he said, that moment was a turning point in his life because there was somebody who just said I'm with you Emmanuel would you stand with me this morning and I want to ask our prayer team to come and as we go to prayer today I want to ask you to listen very carefully because I I was praying and thinking why, why does something like Jesus being human matter now. Because he's already died, he's not going to die again. Well, it does matter because inside Jesus' person, the way the kingdom of God works is revealed. The way God's plans are done, the way God's work is done, the way God's ways are is revealed in the person of Jesus. It's always part us and part God. So here's what I want you to think this morning. If you'll just close your eyes and just think with me for a minute. Just just begin to pray and ask, ask God, Lord, what are you what are you saying to me this morning? Here's why the incarnation matters oftentimes get confused on which part is ours and which part is God's. And maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling stuck in your spiritual life. You're feeling stuck and maybe you're stuck because you're waiting on God to do something and He's waiting on you to do it. And you need to take a step. And if that's you this morning I'm going to ask you in a minute to come and pray. Or maybe you're here and you feel like you're just doing laps and you're running circles and you're like a hamster on a wheel going round and round and round and round and you're trying to make something happen that only God can make happen. And what God is saying is let go and let me do it. And I want to invite you to come and pray. And maybe maybe you're here this morning you're having trouble in a relationship. And There's distance, there's division, there's frustration. Maybe you're having trouble truly loving somebody else. Incarnation is important because you can't love people the way you're supposed to without God's help. It's going to have to be part you and part God. Just like when I was praying for that Christian leader I told you about. It was in prayer that God changed me. It was in prayer that God gave me the power to love the way I should. And maybe in your own relationship, you're feeling that somewhere. And I'm just telling you, you're not going to ever love the way you need to love without God's help. Maybe today you just need to come and say, God, help me. Help me. Help me love. Change me. And maybe you're here this morning. You're in the middle of a battle. The spirit and the humanity, the flesh and the spirit are at war. There's a battle going on and some decisions have to be made and it might not be because you don't it's not that you don't know what to do you know what to do you're having trouble doing the right thing and I just want to say to you man come this morning let, you can't do it but you can't do the right thing alone that's why incarnation matters it's going to be part God and it's going to be part you and if you're trying to do the right thing by yourself I guarantee you it won't work so Lord this morning we surrender we surrender our life I want you just to pray a prayer, surrender with me now. God, I surrender. Start to lay down. Start to lay down those issues of struggle. Start to lay down those frustrations in relationship. Start to lay those down. Start to lay those down, the point of being stuck or trying to work it all out by yourself. If you need God's help with one of those things this morning, I just want you to step out right now as the worship team starts. I want you